if you haven't done excessive self-exploration work like therapy, journaling, dream interpretation, introspection, etc., it is quite likely that you do not know yourself very well. And this is likely the cause of most of the discomfort, the misalignment, the confusion that exists in your life. However, however, this frees up a ton of potential for a more custom fit life. So I invite you to join me on this week's episode of Love Letter Podcast, where we discuss how you can discover your essential self. It is past time for you to fall in love with yourself. Hi, I'm Melvin, and this is Love Letter Podcast. Hello, hi. Thank you all so much for joining me. I hope that you are finding ease, clarity, and joy wherever you can. Like right now, that is the most important thing. But let's not delay, let's dive right in. So one of my friends asked me the other day where I'd been and it dawned on me that maybe I may have been a little bit absent. But instead of just disappearing and popping up, let's chat about it. Um. Process is super important to me. It's one of the things that I'm most interested in whenever I'm talking to creatives, people who have done anything in, in, in work or business. Um, and as much as I plan to share all this healing stuff, I want to also expose you all to the very human process of creating and embodying something that you're trying to be and do and have in the world. Um, so this episode was a little bit challenging to prepare, outline, and record. Uh, not simply because all of this is so new um, and uncharted, and that I have a difficulty sitting still. But mainly because whenever I record, I really want to be clear. I want to be clear and I want to really come from a vibration, which we'll get into, that I would like for y'all to leap with. I want to embody that which I'm, I'm trying to create in the world. And these last few months, years, weeks have given me the difficult opportunity to close out a lot of traumatic cycles of relationships, of behavior, of deception, the whole thing. Um, I'm proud of how I've navigated all of it, but woo, don't it make you tired. But moving on. So that's that. Before we get to actively trying to write the lives that we want to live, it is incredibly important that we examine and take a look at how we got right here where we are. But first, let us begin at the beginning with some terms so we're all talking about the same things, or at least you're clear about how I'm using these words. Um, First, um, let's talk energy, vibration, and frequency. So we learned back in science that everything is vibrating um, and thus everything has and is energy and frequency and vibration. Like those terms are often pretty, pretty interchangeable um, on like a relationship and just like a, a, a life level. When you can't point to facts or a specific feeling, you still can't figure out what it is, is probably energy. Um, I don't want that to sound spooky, like literally the ground that you're walking on is energy. So let's everybody calm down. Um, the law of vibration. Um, this is, I think just a fun law to kind of know. It's like a, considered a universal law. Um, but it's what the law of attraction and good vibes culture is built on. Um, the law of vibration essentially states that everything vibrates and objects, thoughts, and people of a similar vibration or frequency just tend to be magnetically drawn to each other. Um, in chemistry, it was the, the phrase like dissolves like, um, in pop culture, we hear birds of a feather flock together, that whole thing. Um, that's also why could this day get any worse? (laughs) 
produces such great results. Because questions have a way of energetically drawing a response. Remember this. Questions have a way of energetically drawing a response. Hmm. The big T, trauma. Not that other T. Uh, trauma. My favorite definition of trauma now says that trauma is anything that overwhelms the nervous system. Um, thus, our individual and collective definition and understanding of trauma must always be dynamic. As each person's capacity, the nervous system capacity, will fluctuate in response to so many factors. For example, when you're looking for a building from your car backing up um, or trying to parallel park in, in New York, you turn the music down. It's not because you're trying to hear where you're going, but rather you're really trying to reallocate brain resources to a more demanding or complex task. Uh, shadow work. In a sentence, shadow work is curiously examining aspects of your personality that you'd rather not acknowledge or accept. Um, again, um, shadow work is just curiously examining aspects of your personality that you'd rather not acknowledge or accept. So for example, if you've been taught or conditioned to be polite, but you secretly get angry and low-key hate people, but you suppress or deny that anger, you have placed that in your shadow. Or, said another way, just outside of your awareness. Sneakily waiting to pop up somewhere important in your life. I don't know, like your career, your family, or your relationships. Um, and I don't want to chuckle and like make light, but I just don't want this to be... I don't want you to leave this, this, these discussions feeling down. Um, the next one, conditioning, programming, socialization, acculturation, all of those. Um, if you took sociology one-on-one, you right here with me. Conditioning is a process of learning how to fit into our families, our schools, our various roles in society that happens repeatedly over time. The problem with this conditioning process is that to fit in, we begin performing in ways that may be inauthentic to our own identities and our paths. Well, of course, like everything, get into all of this later. Um, rewrite, the word that I kind of keep using all over everything. Um, I'm defining that as examining a pattern or behavior, taking the gifts and lessons from that experience, and actively dreaming up, embodying, and creating a new pattern or behavior. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, oh, we're getting into the thick of it. Uh, God slash the universe. Um, I define this as the designer of the cosmos and this system that we kind of call life. I believe that all of this is intended in a way, and like there's some nuance, um, and that we're collaborators in the unfolding of our lives and those of others. So it's not completely on a cosmic entity like God, and it's not completely in my hands, but it's a healthy co-developmental measure of both. As a universe expands, I expand and vice versa. A cosmic dance, if you will. So that's, if, if, if you hear me say God or the universe, I'm using those um, interchangeably, and that's what I mean. Uh, transmute or alchemize. Taking one thing and turning it into something else. Um, I think in like old English or whatever, it was like taking raw materials and then being able to turn it into gold. Like that made you an alchemist. Um, but for me and for us, it's taking a challenging situation, taking something that's traumatic, and seeing not only the good in it, but to see the gifts too. And that's not to um, discount the importance of healing or the pain. It's just making sure that when we're leaving these experiences that took so much from us, that we're leaving with the things that it also gave to us. Uh, religion. So, and you'll hear me say this a lot, this phrase, but I get the image of like a dozen or so people around an elephant. 
And one person is saying, oh, it's rough. And one is saying, oh, it's sharp and pointy. Um, it's whatever you might, however you might describe an elephant. And I think we all have a piece of the puzzle and that we're all meant to kind of share those pieces so we can make sense of what this, this, I don't want to say the word beast, but this thing is. I guess I'm a part of the generation that's like, oh, titles. But I would certainly say that I'm spiritual, um, formerly Christian. And like I've been saying, I've kept the gifts. So it's a well that I will draw from. Like those stories are still kind of guiding me today. But I believe that once you try and organize and conclude in an unchanging text what this whole life experience is and has to be for all of us, you lose me, honestly. At this stage in my life, I think I judge, maybe not judge, but I consider religions based on, and not to participate, but just like, as a rubric, how helpful they are. Less about this is going to get me to this thing that is far off in the distance that I can't, whatever. It's how, how helpful is it to me navigating my life right now? How does it make me feel? But I'll define as we go. Um, so again, we're always staying on the same page, but I think this is a pretty good list to begin with. Now, back to the show. Signed you, discovering your essential self. On this episode, we will be examining how our childhood environments have set us up to have what we currently have and how our creative selves actually know the way. We've just been bamboozled with this whole time. The truth is, in reality, um, you are a creative, multi-talented, powerful, capable, incredible being who is meant to be doing the work that comes easiest to you. In fact, the things that you're designed to be doing, you didn't and don't truly need to be taught. And I'm willing to back this stuff up, but let's use celebrity examples since they're so readily available. Um, and I don't want to use Google Scholar that much. In a lot of interviews with the quote unquote greats, we often see the light being shed on the fact that from childhood, they did the thing that they're doing now or it led directly to it or they had time to explore. Not a lot of uh, credit toward the degree program, not a blue check. And we've all probably heard about the 10,000 hour rule. If you haven't, researchers have found that to master a skill, you might likely need to invest 10,000 hours of practice. At that point, you get to be called an expert, sell your services, whatever. Me personally, I'm less concerned with how many hours we are putting into anything if we don't go into it clear. I don't, I don't care. And like a lot of the research says that somebody who is talented or specifically designed to do something has a multiplying advantage over someone who just practices a lot. But you know where that clarity comes from? Your inner knowing. Um, people don't love it. I personally didn't. Your intuition. And you know who has crystal clear inner knowing and intuition? Kids. Yeah. So that's why a really big part of all this work that we're doing is inner child stuff. Because that is our original clarity. And we still have access to it and we'll cover it, but kids do. However, I think part of the problem in society that leads us here is that we don't respect or appreciate the wisdom of children. We don't trust that they know what is true for them. We want so badly for our kids, our nieces, our nephews, cousins to be okay and to be prepared for a world that we don't fully understand yet and won't that we separate them from their new and precise guidance to follow ours because it somehow got us to the precarious safety that we believe we possess. 
what is that thing that people be saying that we're all one medical emergency away from like bankruptcy or something? So decades of overriding our intuition. I'll say it differently. So decades of overriding our passion for drawing, our appreciation for a slower pace, our desire to study literature and so on and so on, bring us to our late 20s, 30s and 40s with the fully formed brain in this system and asking ourselves who we are and how we feel so dissatisfied with every single thing that we fought so hard to have and keep. Do this not feel scammy to y'all. I know it's not just me, I know it. It is simultaneously the most painful and beautiful thing to see people getting to know that they are so unfamiliar to themselves. Painful because that realization is tough. It's like I'm 30, 32, 40, like who am I? What do I want? But it's beautiful because that means that you are open to creating something new. And that you can now create the energetic space for a different life, or at least the possibility of filling it with more you. But I'm throwing a lot at you. And like I said in the prologue episode, go at your own pace, please. Because we about to get into some things. Now, let's really examine our childhoods. This is going to be a lot to kind of work through, but we need to set this really solid foundation for everything else. So go with me as I like trying to get, this, get all this stuff out. Whew. Data from Harvard University showed that the brain develops rapidly during the first years of life. So before children even turn three years old, they're already forming one million neural connections every minute. And neurons are like the building blocks of the brain. Like they help us make connections and think and the whole thing. Um, so during this time, you're mapping your brain out. You're forming your attachment style that, that dictates how you relate to others and collecting as much information as you possibly can to guide you and sustain you for the next 70 to 90 years. Is that not wild? So why is this so important? Why am I saying this? And how does this work? So not to go too far into the science, because this is not my specific branch, but whatever. Um, our brain goes through various brainwave states every day, over the course of our lives, the whole thing, um, where we have more or less influence on how we process the information coming at us. So I'll give us, I'll, we'll cover three brainwave states, but I think there are five or seven, or who, who knows? Um, so there's the alpha brainwave state. And so the alpha brainwave state is associated with being physically and mentally relaxed. You've ended your day, you're chilling out, you're in the alpha brainwave state. The beta brainwave state is associated with being awake, being alert, thinking, excitement, busyness. When you're working and you're commuting and you're doing things that you have to think about, you're most likely in the beta brainwave state. And then finally, we have the theta brainwave state which is associated with deep dreams, being in a hypnotic state, being highly suggestible. Because when our brains are in the theta brainwave state, the things that we hear, learn, and are exposed to go directly to our subconscious minds. So in the alpha and beta brainwave states, we can have, or we have a lot more influence on, this is true, that's false. I don't like that, I want this. This is who I am and this is not. But in the theta brainwave state, we don't have those same um, mental faculties to be able to kind of sift. And so why am I talking about all these brainwave states? Um, children for the first six or seven years are in the theta brainwave state. I'm going to let that settle. Because I did not like hearing that the first time I did. So that means the, the, the two-year-old, the terrible twos, the three-year-olds, the five-year-olds, they are in a state where they are collecting things like a sponge. They are highly suggestible. And so... The thing that they are learning and experiencing become the foundation for their lives. And 
they have no ability or they, they have yet to develop the ability to sift through what is true and what's false. So during this time, we were unknowingly becoming containers of family system trauma, societal conditioning, media programming, etc., 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 and engaging with and being conditioned by other containers with their own set of unhelpful programs. So not only am I a cocktail of things that I can't even distinguish, but then I go to elementary school, pre-K, and all of these different places, and then I'm also learning somebody else's program that they also can't control. And now as, as, as painful as jarring as that may be, I think we do have some, some recourse, some saving grace, if you will. Um, most research has found, or a lot of research on neuroplasticity has found that the brain is still pretty malleable and plastic um, well into our adulthood. Even though we prune off a lot of neurons when we're kind of young, we still have the ability to kind of grow and change. It's another conversation for another episode, but that's why I don't really mess with, oh, they were doing the best that they could. Moving on. Um, so during this time, we're becoming, I hate to say it, like a Frankenstein version that we're not even fully aware of. And our parents did, and their grandparents did, that whole thing. And I don't want us to get stuck there because we're having the conversation now so we can kind of shift out of that. But being this spongy version of ourselves is, is, is standard. Now, add being queer or black or trans or femme identifying. Can you see how these images, all of this noise get more amplified and more violent and more persistent or, or resistant to change? How it can feel like war getting back to yourself? This is why I say you likely don't know yourself. Because from the moment we're born until now, our nervous systems have been bombarded and disrupted regularly by all the noise and confusing stimuli, which are in a lot of cases designed to distract us from ourselves. I dare you to turn the news on. Our societies train us to externalize our sense of self in objects, in symbols, in groups, in academic pursuits, in jobs that we have been convinced are more important than being ourselves. The only thing we are not taught or encouraged to be in our society is ourselves. Because apparently, maybe I'm wrong here, I hope so, because apparently the individual means death to the tribe. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. And to be clear, this thing goes very deep. Going back to the brain, the receptors in the brain responsible for pain are also activated by rejection. I'm gonna let that one sit, cause that's... So that's why it is often extremely difficult to leave relationships, family systems, zip codes, potentially the very things that are helping us stay stuck. But I don't want y'all to hear all of this and get frustrated and get, and get worked up because it is work up. And it is a reason why we are here. So please don't stop here and go to work or do something else. Cause this is not, I don't want you, don't stop here. I want us to understand extremely well how we got here. So if there are more questions, I'll go and do the research and answer them because like this stuff matters so much, but we need to understand how we got here, what it means to be right here and how we get to where we want to go individually and collectively. So my, one of my aims, because at this point I have like a dozen, is more personal responsibility, more energetic accountability. I do it too, so I'm going to say it. We, our, we, 
we are spilling our energy irresponsibly on everyone. We just go out into the world and cleaned up nothing. Anyway, but more personal responsibility, more energetic accountability, and more joy. Don't let my firm tone confuse you about what we are here to do. How do we do this? How do we bridge these massive gaps? Well, you're going to have to do the work to own your entire self on this journey. Which means you're going to have to meet more and more parts of yourself that you may have felt you needed to silence at one point or another. You're going to have to allow yourself to be certain and confused, rigid and malleable, composed and deconstructed in this process because we've heard it a hundred times at this point, healing isn't linear. It's going to mean giving yourself permission to be unfinished and to live in the question that draws the answer that you both seek and need. And I also understand that we hear a lot of times what we're supposed to be doing, but we don't see it being modeled for us. So all we have is a collection of shoulds that do and don't work and most times don't. So to model this myself, owning myself means being okay with what society has convinced me are contradictions instead of the unique configuration for my personal mission here. So not only is it okay that I'm gay, that I'm formally Christian, that I'm churchy, black, too analytical, sensitive, powerful, passionate, childish, sensitive. It is a unique design for me to meet my mission in this life. But it's just too many opinions. There's too much evaluation for the simple sake of categorizing. And I've taken a dozen assessments. I love assessment. It is nearly impossible to actually be who we are because the moment we start doing anything, it has to be judged, measured, KPI'd. And now in this new way, <laughs> monetized and marketed on platforms that hide your content from people who actually want to see it. I told y'all I was going to be ranting. <laughs> but for real, people be like, when is your birthday? Not because I'm getting a present, which I love, but because you want to know how to place and engage with me because of my sun sign. Not because you plan to provide the security or the organization that my Capricorn son appreciates. You just want to know to determine how you should move. What are your love languages? Not because I want to love you in that language, but I just want to know. Oh, and here are mine. I'm not going to buy you flowers, though. But I just wanted to know. Where did you go to school? What do you do? Top, bottom, or verse? I personally am tired. And why? And who cares? You can't be packaged or fully understood. Not even to yourself. You're always meant to be expanding into everything that you have the potential to be. You can only be experienced, and sometimes for one night only. But really, y'all love being multifaceted and hyphenated. Own your multidimensionality. But don't be vague and weird like, ooh, I just don't, I resist labels. And I don't want to sound pedantic, but... Own your multidimensionality and show up as your full self. And that is truly no shade because you absolutely should. But we have to be clear about how we are showing up. And you get clear by patiently, gently, and curiously exploring your parts. And then gently integrating them back into the whole and then transcending all the facets that you just owned. A sum greater than its parts. That is the point. 
but you're not going to discover the sweet, creative, rich parts that you may have left behind if you're not allowing the so-called dark parts of you speak too. There's a reason why you're so mad and hurt and frustrated and bitter. And all those parts of you are asking to speak up, asking to come to the mic. And all of those disembodied feelings, and by disembodied, I mean feelings without a feeler, are the signs that you keep looking for in your external environment for a better life. I know personally that when you transmute those painful experiences, not forgetting them, I absolutely still remember the stuff. But when you transmute those things, you get the power that you need to go on your journey. You're not a creative or a doctor, or a dancer, or an engineer, or a writer, or the baddest bitch on the planet. You are you, the being that does all those things, and has yet untapped potential to do those things better or something entirely different, and it still be you. Said another way, think of yourself like a puzzle piece. Once we start judging and assessing if a puzzle piece with all of its curves and, and parts is right or is good enough, and we start tampering with its design, then it can no longer fit cozily, catch it, in the place that only it can. Like literally think about a puzzle. You can have a 7.7 .7 billion piece puzzle and there will always be a spot that only you can feel. Others might have the shape, the look, the money, hell, even the feel, but it will always be off and incomplete because you're not in your place and they're not in theirs. So take comfort knowing that you're irreplaceable and get cozy in your spot. Do you hear me, people of God? <laughs> Let's keep going. Back to our childhood. In the prologue episode, I cheekily mentioned participation trophies. And so I've been thinking a bit about the idea of participation trophies all of this post-boomer generation slander, this in connection with the quote, rejection is God's redirection. Let's put them together. We and the kids born just after us were involved in a ton of activities. And from a lot of these activities, we probably collected at least a few participation trophies. So you have kids who are honestly not good at something. Maybe they don't practice between activity. Maybe that's not an area of strength. Maybe they are meant to continue a legacy that is not theirs to continue. But with presumably good intentions, coaches, parents, and teachers affirm a lack of a capacity to satisfy a lot. Y'all be putting our teachers through a ton. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for the journey and all my caregivers, but I too have been in award ceremonies receiving awards I had no business or clue why. But when we are constantly told we are good at something or everything, when it's untrue, it is difficult to later identify where you do have promise or genius capacity. If you weren't allowed to fail or quit stuff you legitimately no longer liked, you're going to have a tough time knowing when to hold and when to fold. If you were meant to get an A in every class, and I'm not knocking it because I get all the systems, and do every extracurricular activity there is to prove that you deserve the best education, while giving up the ease and play that is emblematic of a healthy childhood and during the most formative years of your life, and you have your parents' resources and dreams to fulfill, it is a natural byproduct to get good at everything 
be named 30 under 30, have everything, and be clueless about the person looking back at you in the mirror. If it is unclear, I do not like these systems. I heard JD say in an interview that he believed that everyone has a genius level capacity at something, and I fully agree. But we absolutely do not get there by being all things to all people unless we are meant to be. And I'm sure most of you aren't. Look at everything. When I think about what I've seen in and about genius kids though, in a lot of cases, they had environments that fed their minds, that supported their development, and let them follow their own knowing about their life. They were given the opportunity to follow their own innate clarity about what and who they didn't like. But often, and again, looking at the systems, this is taken as disrespect or stubbornness or disobedience. And unfortunately, the prevailing model of parenting gives command and control. Have your opinion and your own will, but it better not contradict mine. And you better fix that face that is connected to your emotions. I posted a short rant in my close friends on Instagram that I won't lie, I'm nervous to share more broadly. Because even though I have a podcast, I do not like a lot of attention. Which I guess means now I have to because I mentioned it. But the rant was about how kids are being forcefully recruited into these aggressive pursuits towards generational wealth due to everything. Again, I'm aware of the systems. I'm aware of the solutions that we are collectively coming to as a people. But I'm also aware that we haven't gotten enough rugged individualism out of us so that we can successfully complete this pursuit. If we, never mind. But we are recruiting them to join into this process at the expense of their own internal compass, their dreams, and their happiness. It's like we're defining for them and unhealthily their relationship with money just as it was designed for us. I have to chase this created thing that fluctuates according to factors I cannot control at the expense of myself. And listen, I know, I get it. It's not that easy, Mel. Bills, the whole thing. It's like that thing about positive thinking when you're literally starving. But that's why I keep saying we need to both be clear and build this together. But more on that later. This is episode one. But what I'm arriving at in my own life and seeing echoed all over social media is that our generation wasn't cultivated. And it's no shade, but many of us weren't given the space to develop mastery or to pursue our interests. And side note, I can imagine how it may have been more than challenging the position our parents were in. The first generation not being fully immersed in slavery, potentially, depending on where they grew up. Growing up after the Civil Rights Act gave black people some legitimacy in this, this country, in this world. But this isn't their podcast, and we still love them, so moving on. But we weren't cultivated. We were potentially given a lot. We participated in as much as we could, and our families could afford but the recognition of our unique skills and interests and the gentle supportive development of those interests, rare. So rare, in fact, that we often ascribe it to celebrity. But it is not an anomaly to have the capacity to develop excellence in something. But it's likely not going to be the everything that we've been doing. And it may not even be what you're doing currently. And that's a good thing because maybe these things that we're aiming at and moving towards won't carry the same stuck energy some of you might feel. 
maybe I won't hate getting out of the bed in the morning. Maybe I won't be anxious to go to sleep because I have to get up to go to work tomorrow. Maybe I don't have to hit my weekend so hard because I don't hate Mondays. There's a book title I love that says, what got you here won't get you there. And that's where we all are. The solutions we're being sold, the strategies we keep employing, aren't going to get us where we want to go because we don't know and have not decided where we're going. And if we have, what was that decision based on? Because like as we said from the top of the episode, them first seven years, we consumed a lot. Are we really going to work these jobs, be ourselves part-time and on the weekends until retirement? I really hate to say it. And again, I'm not choosing to be right. These are my thoughts and opinions. Do it what you will. Retirement no longer exists. I'm not saying quit your jobs or your relationships or anything just yet. But we have been choosing the steps of our lives based on what has been. And these last 2.5 years have shown us that nothing is as it was. And yet, we keep persisting. And I don't blame us. Again, excuse my tone. I don't blame us. I see the systems. And it's frightening. Let's call it. It's scary. And I know you probably had some shuddering moments during this pandemic. So let's pause here. I personally am incredibly glad that you are both here in the world and right here with me. I am so glad. I'm glad you didn't quit. I'm glad you didn't starve the world. And most importantly, most importantly, yourself of your magic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like we are much more connected than any of our languages can communicate. And I ain't gonna stop till we get it. An astrologer that I came across on Twitter, uh, the People's Oracle, Dana Nichols, says almost hourly, and I appreciate her for it, um, survival is a collective burden. Like we can't navigate the times that have been and the time that we're going in and the time that we're in alone. We've bought into this myth of rugged individualism that the West has branded and marketed so masterfully. Catch it. But it's not our fault because it was sold to us. It was in the children's books that we read. And kudos to you if you left um, elementary school without a red Power Ranger syndrome. Or pink Power Ranger. She was a Anyway, whatever. Who cares? We're moving on. Especially being black and or queer. Almost every liberty or right that we have can be attached to a picture of a bunch of people fighting for it. But I'm ranting. Let's get back. As frightened as all of this can be, and as alone as you may feel or have felt, it's what I'd call a difficult opportunity. I said it at the top of the episode. It's a difficult opportunity that we're all facing. But it also gets less difficult and less frightening when you're both clear and in community. And if you're trying to ride, we're going to get there. Because I know how tired and burnt out you are. How pissed you are. I'm pissed too. But I am real deal here to help you get your shit back. Lovingly, of course. But it's time for you to choose your life. And that you that is choosing needs to actually be you. And not decades of conditioning. <sighs> and for those of us who grew up in church. Might be a good bit of y'all. This is going to be incredibly challenging because everything we've ever felt or thought to be true for us had to be filtered through the system we were in that is somehow pyramidal, profitable, and somehow not a capitalist structure. 
or like using a template of capitalism. And again, how helpful is it? So it's not like throw Christianity or religions away. How helpful is it? Anyway, and it seems in these systems that there's often an inverse or opposite relationship between the religious zeal and your connection to yourself. In other words, the more fiery and dedicated a system is, I'll just say a system or a group of people, the more difficult it's going to be to follow a path that hasn't either been previously charted or that your leader doesn't agree with, regardless of your connection with God. And your faith will be tested and questioned, and I'm not talking about just a desire to listen to Beyonce or sin. Y'all, they're still debating, or not, to determine if women, the ones paying all the tithes and offering, can preach in pulpits? If y'all don't get me out of here. My personal philosophy, and I'm no longer a Christian, so take the meat and leave the bone. If it fills a line, I still expect you to be at church next week. But my personal philosophy is that we don't truly desire what we aren't or what isn't aligned. The operative word here is truly. So this whole out of the will of God thing is tired and opportunistic. I've seen it used much too much. I'm highly susceptible to targeted ads like you. So I too want a G-Wagon, but I don't want to be president or a lawyer or even a chief talent officer any longer. I want to be me with all the rights and privileges associated with that. And I'm finding that most, if not all of my real non-marketed interests align with that person. So another thing I want us to leave behind is fear that you can't, don't know how, or that it is a sin to be yourself. Moving on. I know y'all gonna get tired of me talking about myself, but I use myself as an example because I was there. So let me weave you a tale about how our essence gets hijacked for simplicity and digestibility and how we already have all we need to return fully to ourselves. So when I was in the eighth grade, maybe the seventh, um, I had a brief experience with another wounded, probably abandoned kid. Um, so we were in home economics, sewing pillows and baking treats. And almost every day he either called me stupid or tell me to shut up when I spoke, which was rarely due to my trying to be invisible. So one day I had had enough of the distraction from my stitching. And so I asked him, do you feel stupid? Are you being regularly told to shut up? Were you the only kid playing in the sandbox? It was, it was really, really me. And it wasn't my finest moment, but I don't regret it because the whole thing. And I now know better. I can see that moment for what it was. He seemed shocked at my resistance and somehow attempted to become friends after like that. Whatever, whatever. When I recounted this at home with my parents, I learned that a more refined and professional version of that process was called therapy and that psychologists help people understand themselves better. When I tell you that for a people-pleasing, overachieving kid, this was gold. And given how impressed people were with my clarity of purpose being so young, I had all the feedback I needed to confirm that I was on the right path. And given my parents instilled it in me to be a doctor, and realizing quickly that getting under the ribs of a patient wasn't for me, I was quickly, as a kid, trying to find a way back to my foretold path to becoming a doctor. Even if that meant getting a PhD, be quiet, Rainbow Johnson. And this is no shade to my parents because most of our parents do it because our parents and hell people project what they think is good and right onto others. 
Now, after so many years of living, studying psychology, studying others, studying creatives, creativity, society, I can see that moment more clearly and, and the systems that were at play. So follow me here and try to apply this to your own life. We are coming to the end. I know preachers say that all the time. It's, I told you I was churchy. Um, up until that moment and this one, I was curious about my environment and why people behaved or did certain things. As a kid, I was always observing, watching, and paying attention. Um, I also liked singing, dancing, deconstructing, and rebuilding, but we'll come back to those. The psychology. So up until then, I was deeply interested in others and wanted to help. This desire and capacity, once named psychology, and accessed by becoming a psychologist, inadvertently choked off the wider exploration that kids are meant to be undergoing to access a premature clarity to impress confused others and latch onto an illusion of safety because my environment felt uncertain. To what degree might you relate? What that very early election of a profession does is it requires you to very early start putting parameters around your experience of life and the permissions you give yourself. You start hesitating to share what you know because others are smarter than you or have the credential or have the look. Or you can't have a podcast that speaks to mental health for a generation that you're seeing suffer because you're not a licensed psychologist. When in reality, I love the science of industrial organizational psychology and its applications, but having to fit inside of a structure where I can't be my most expansive self, a wash. I joke with friends all the time that I shouldn't have made any major life decisions before I came out of the closet. I'm not even myself and I'm signing promissory notes. I didn't even know how much support was on the other side of being diagnosed with homosexuality. <laughs> but because I had to make decisions and sign up for capitalism, I didn't think I had a choice. Just imagine what other conclusions we may have jumped to over the course of a lifetime that have led us to where we are. And I know it's not all bad. I want to be very clear. I'm having a great time. But we thought we didn't have a choice for how we got to wherever we are, but we do. So that's a lot. What do we do with that? Well, I think a better approach that we can even adopt now is to identify an interest and instead of naming, categorize, and seeking to find its legitimacy or profitability in the real world, we just be curious about the essence of that interest. How and what it makes you feel. Reminder. And considering all the fun ways it can be applied. And we'll keep talking about this so you don't have to get all this today. But if I had, and it's no fault of my own, and I'm abundantly grateful for this journey, or most of it. Um, but if I had started with that interest and expanded the essence of it, the soul of it, when I no longer wanted the corporate path that I was on and had once loved, I wouldn't have felt so troubled about quitting my corporate career as I knew it without a plan. Yeah, we're going there. We're going there. I'm not asking or inviting you to go anywhere or do anything that I haven't and I'm not willing to do myself. But I wouldn't have been so scared because I would have always been connected to the essence of why I started, the essence of who I am, the soul of my personal mission. In corporate speak, this is what they would call a career pivot. But we're not talking about skills. We're talking about you. But it's okay because none of that matters because you are still here and you are still you. Some parts of you are just a little more quiet than others, but we'll give them a voice and we'll get there. Because even though I felt lost a couple months ago, 
I was patient and gentle with myself while those silent parts came up to the mic to speak. And as I listened and cried and mourned and played and cried and created and cried and got into my body, those quiet parts left loud gifts. And here we are. When you get back to the essence of your gifts, your interests, your career, your relationships, your whole world opens up because you don't have to find the next chapter of your purpose on Indeed or at a networking event. And you are no longer trapped by APA guidelines. But really, your whole life becomes your business card due to the alignment and the opportunities that will meet you. And I'm excited to say that to you because I haven't even gotten fully there yet. I just know it's on the way. But I trust it in myself because I've never been this clear. I know why I'm here and what I'm supposed to be doing. The, the shape of that, the people that I work with, not, I don't need to know that yet. I know what I'm meant to be doing. So since it's become a motif in my life, let me come out again. <laughs> I am Melvin Rustin. I am creative. I am a multimedia artist. I am passionate. I'm a little moody. I'm silly. Excuse my language. I'm bad as fuck. <laughs> and I am who I have been waiting for. So I want you all to say it with me. We, we, we made it to the end, y'all. I want y'all to say it with me and mean it. Let's, let's, let's have those feelings. I am a once in a lifetime opportunity that I will not miss. Yeah. I am a once in a lifetime opportunity that I will not miss. And that's it. So for this week class, and if you don't have your notebook, a pen, a nicer pen than the one that's just like laying around or a voice recorder, whatever you you identify that you could use on this journey. Open up your web browser, go to loveletter.com slash registrar and drop my goddamn class. <laughs> I'm kidding, but really go get something to record or write some thoughts in because as you develop and you will, I want you to be able to look back and see what came up for you, how you navigated and how you transmuted all the pain that we've collected over this lifetime into joy. So it's writing time. So as we covered at the top of the episode um, about how important those first seven years are, I want you to write a letter or record your thoughts, and this might make you a little emotional, inviting your seven-year-old self back into your life. Since we silence so much of ourselves, it's kind of like kids. Um, yes, they will speak to you, but if they don't feel safe around you, they're not going to say anything. But if you invite them to speak, they might. And they may provide insights that you weren't previously aware of. So I want you to write a letter inviting your seven-year-old self in your life. So if I were to write a letter, it would be along the lines of, Dear Little Mel, um, it's been a long journey so far. I know that I left some parts of you behind, and I deeply and sincerely apologize. I love you. I want you with me. Help me to create a life that we both can enjoy. So I invite you to join me on this journey. Show me what I've missed. Show me what I've left behind. And help me to live a life that is true to who we are and not what we feel we need to be to others. Sign Mel. So I want you to write a letter to yourself inviting you back into your life. And I want you to invite ease. I want you to invite play. I want you to invite curiosity. I want you to meet yourself and then become that person. 
you already have all the direction you need for the turbulent times we're in and that we're still going into. You are a once in a lifetime opportunity. Don't miss you. And I know that this is an incredibly vulnerable process. And so I don't expect any of you to share your letters with anyone. But if there is something that comes up for you that is worth sharing, again, we are meant to be doing this thing in community. And like I was talking to someone the other night and it just kind of jumped out. To have a softer life, we are going to have to soften first. But we're going to get there. There is no rush. Our good auntie Nisi Nash Betts said a long time ago in a conversation with um, Pastor Ture out of LA, um, baby steps are still steps. It might not feel like you're moving. Like I said on the first, on the prologue episode, you can't see your life when you're living it. So we're going to get there. We are going to get there. For real. I love y'all so much. And I will talk to y'all on Thursday. So what's to come? Where are we going? So in this first run, we are addressing a ton. The next few episodes are going to cover more concrete exploration tools, the brain and nervous system and how it's helping and hindering us, community cause more of that, parenting and much more. So pins up, hearts out, it's time to follow up with yourself.